0: Hello and welcome to edition number 1,941 of the Whitney Talking News, which we are recording on Thursday the 8th of December 2022 at the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney. I'm Alan Ravell, and I edited this edition. This week our four readers are, in the order that you'll hear them, Peter B, Dorothy Allen, Adam Lethridge, and Jean Thompson. And our recording engineer, who I hope you don't hear from this evening, is Peter Brading. As is usual, we have taken items mainly from the Whitney Gazette, pr- plus a sprinkling of items from the Chipping Norton News and from elsewhere. We will begin with one of the Gazette's lead stories this week, read by Peter, about Christmas coming ever closer.
1: And our headlight reads, Crowds watch the lights come on for festive countdown." And Whitney marked the start of the countdown to Christmas, with hundreds turning out for the Christmas lights switch on. From the afternoon, there was the entertainment from schools, theatre groups and local bands. There are a few fairground rides for children, and Father Christmas was in his grotto waiting to hear what the young people of Whitney have on their Christmas lists this year. Each child received sweets, courtesy of the Shake Shop whitney town council which supports the event thanked the rotary club of whitney and all their brilliant volunteers and contributors for a wonderful switch on event on friday evening as always some excellent entertainment and a great crowd a grateful thanks to all they said The Mayor of Whitney, Liz Duncan, did the honours. Assisted by the Joint Presidents of Interact, that's the Junior Rotary Club at Whitgreen School, and Whitney MP Robert Courts and Rod Walker, the Deputy Lord Lieutenant of Oxfordshire, all joined them on the stage. And there's a selection of pictures of people mingling, enjoying themselves and admiring the lights.
0: And next is Dorothy with a silly season story linked to the Football World Cup, which some of us, at least, are currently enjoying.
2: (laughs) The headline for this one is Psychic Alpaca Alfie ready to make call on World Cup. A so-called psychic alpaca who has been predicting the outcome of the World Cup games has yet to predict how England will fare against France this weekend. Furry football pundit Alfie who lives at Fairytale Farm near Chipping Norton, has been choosing flags on feeding stations to indicate who will win each match. And his keepers believe that he can match the legendary achievements of Paul the Octopus, whose accurate predictions in the 2010 World Cup brought him worldwide attention as an animal oracle. Alfie, who is 10 years old, shares an enclosure with fellow alpacas Horace and Hagrid, and is considered one of the brighter animals at the popular family attraction. Owner Nick Laster, who looks after him, said, Alfie is one of our smarter and more responsive alpacas on the farm, who has an abundance of common sense. So if I was pushed to pick an animal to make the right decision, it would be him. He seems so clever that at the start of the World Cup, the staff decided to put his fortune-telling abilities to the test by draping flags on his feeders and getting him to choose which one would win. Suffice to say, so far Alfie has had a mixed tournament. He appeared on ITV's This Morning with Mr Leicester to show off his skills and correctly predicted Wales would not make it out of the group stages. Alfie also reckoned England would defeat Wales. But then he predicted England would lose to Iran in the opener, prompting football fans to take to social media. Alpacas haven't got a clue, one said. Mr Leicester said he was fairly confident that Alfie knows what he's doing. He added that the animal can see through people and has a knowing look that tells you, I know a little bit more than you do. In fact, England beat Iran 6-2. And now England hopes are extremely high after the team beat Senegal three nil to reach the quarter final. They will play France, who are one of the favourites to win the tournament on Saturday. There's no word from Alfie on the predicted outcome yet. And there's a big picture, very colourful, of Alfie, and he has round his neck the England flag. <coughs> so everybody's living in hopes.
0: Now it's Adam with a story about how the rising price of electricity is having an impact on the local leisure activities.
3: Yes, this article is titled, Swimming Pool's Opening Hours Cut as Energy Bills Soar. Swimming pool opening hours are to be reduced at leisure centres to cut running costs. Leisure operator Better is cutting down opening hours at pools in Whitney, Carterton and Chipping Norton. Better, which runs leisure centres across the county on behalf of councils, said in West Oxfordshire its annual operating costs were soaring, up 132% on 2019. Typically, the pools open an hour later and close an hour earlier on days when pool usage is lowest. There will also be some closures during the day, during times when it is not busy. The changes will be introduced from December the 12th and are expected to last until spring 2023. Joy Aitman, West Oxfordshire District Council's Cabinet Member for Stronger Healthy Communities, said, Nationally, the leisure sector has taken a huge hit as a result of the increase in energy costs, and we have also seen a drop in user numbers since the pandemic. Small reductions in the opening times of the swimming pool at times when very few people use them, will help to reduce energy costs. We will continue to keep the pools open for all of our swimming clubs and for our lessons. We are working with Better and consulting with residents through our budget survey to identify measures to reduce costs and increase efficiency to help protect our leisure services. And there's a picture a photograph with the article which shows a very inviting-looking Chipping Norton swimming pool.
0: And finally, in this first round of stories, it's Jean, with a pledge by our county council to press ahead with a major project, despite cost concerns.
4: And this is entitled, Park and Ride Will Arrive Despite Pause of A40 plan." The County Council has insisted a new park and ride in Ensham will be completed, despite suggestions from councillors that it should be paused during a cost-cutting review of the whole A40 upgrade project. Preparatory work began on the site in October and construction is currently due to be completed in 2024. But last week... Oxfordshire County Council's Cabinet voted to withdraw the compulsory purchase orders for the land required to progress the HIF2 A40 improvements programme. Review is to be carried out as inflation eats into what can be done with the £106 million funding from Homes England. The Cabinet is expected to be updated on the programme on the progress in early 2023 active travel champion at Oxfordshire County Council councillor Dan Levy who also represents Ensham said suspending work on the park and ride at Ensham would also be prudent councillor Levy said My predecessor as County Councillor for Ensham, Charles Matthew, and I were both very critical of the plans, including the Ensham Park and Ride, primarily because we didn't think they would be effective. Money was always going to be tight, even before the resurgence of inflation. This is a scheme that was developed by the previous administration and adopted by this one which the residents of Ensham, who know the A40 as well as anyone, opposed. He asked that the whole of the work intended for the A40 be included in the review, adding, I feel that carrying on with the park and ride now, even though work is underway, may end up with something that isn't well used. Buses can't go quickly from it to Oxford and the hospitals. And, of course, back in the other direction. I think it would be prudent to suspend work on the park and ride during the review. However, the County Council insisted the park and ride project, which is fully funded, will proceed as planned. And it said, The planning strategy to secure full planning permission for the entirety of the HIF2 scheme remains unchanged. Oxfordshire County Council remains committed to the A40 programme and to delivering long-term transport solutions for the area. We will work closely with our partners to determine the best way to deliver the scheme. The Highways Project between Whitsney and Wolvercote, north of Oxford, is meant to support the building of more than 20,000 new homes in the area. It includes dual carriageways between Whitney and Ensham, improved shared cycle paths and footpaths, extra bus lanes to support a new transport hub at Ensham Park and Ride, and a widening of the Cassington Bridge. Mr Levy said bus and bike lanes from Ensham and Oxford and a new junction at Cassington were good parts of the scheme and should not be lost as we necessarily pare back the costs.
1: Inquest opens on the death of a man in an A44 crash. An inquest has been held on a 24-year-old man who died on a crash near Chipping Norton. Dylan Moise, his silver Audi TT, came off the A44 at Crosshounds Hill at around 7:50 a.m. on Sunday, November the 20th. Oxford Coroner's Court heard that Mr Moyes's death was pronounced by a South Central Ambulance Service paramedic shortly after 8.20am. A post-mortem examination found that the cause of death to be severe head injuries. Senior Coroner for the county, Darren Salter, recorded that Mr Moyes was a technician who at the time of his death lived in Spring Street, Chipping Norton. He was born in Zimbabwe in 1998, and a full inquest will be held on April the 5th. Following Mr. Moyce's death, Thames Valley Police asked for any witnesses to uh, to the crash to come forward, and Sergeant James Sermon said, I would urge any motorists with dash cams to check any footage in case it may have captured something that could assist with the investigation.
2: The headline is, Free Food Waste Caddy Liners for Households. Householders can pick up a free roll of food caddy liners to help deal with the extra waste over the festive period. The free liners are available during December while stocks last from all Oxfordshire libraries and Welchway Town Centre shop Whitney. Customers who use the home library service will be offered a roll of food caddy liners with their book delivery. All households receive food waste recycling collections from their district council. Oxfordshire County Council arranges for the collected food waste to be recycled. Although most households already recycle their food waste, the council recycles nearly 25,000 tonnes of food waste annually. It estimates that a similar amount wrongly ends up in general waste. If all the food waste that is still thrown away in general rubbish bins was recycled, it would save Oxfordshire County Council more than £2 million a year. Pete Sudbury, Oxfordshire County Council's Cabinet Member for Climate Change and Environment, said, The best thing people can do, especially during this cost-of-living crisis, is to minimise the amount of food that gets thrown away. Where that's not possible, home composting or recycling food waste Using the curbside collection really helps to reduce the impact of waste disposal on the climate.
3: Our next article is another football one, but rather closer to home than the Qatar World Cup, and no alpacas in sight on this one. And the headline is, Footballers want councils to keep up in pitches goal. Football teams in Whitney have achieved their goal of getting new pitches in the town. Whitney Vikings welcomed news that the Lees will be back in action earlier than expected. In September, the club raised concerns after the town council said that the ground where the girls' teams are based became too hard and unsafe to play on. Now it has said it is able to open up a portion of the field for football earlier than expected. It has also invested in a shockwave machine to carry out more frequent decompaction work on all of its pitches. This comes as West Oxfordshire District Council's Cabinet adopted a new playing pitch strategy and a dedicated member of staff to deliver it. Chair of Whitney Vikings, Steve Bott, said, Now we need action. No more passing the buck, history lessons or politicking Whitney needs more grass pitches and a second artificial turf pitch facility and it needs them today. He said interest in the game, particularly for girls, had been soaring since the Lionesses won the Euros. The situation was bad five years ago. Now we are in a facility crisis, he said. At Whitney Vikings Youth Football Club, we have a waiting list of around 100 boys and girls and no capacity for developing new teams. He said the club had been overwhelmed with acts of kindness and support from within the community. Using portable floodlights, teams had been able to train at schools, surrounding villages and also Whitney Rugby Club. He thanked Windrush Church of England Primary School, parish councils such as Finstock and other football clubs, such as Garden City FC and Charlbury FC. Special thanks to the Henry Box School and Hayley Church of England Primary School for use of their grass pitches, and Whitney Rugby's FC's Robert Fisk, who has provided a weekday training venue for two of our under 10 teams. We are using a set of portable floodlights purchased two years ago, bought as a stopgap while we were waiting for the new Whitney artificial turf pitch to be built he added Whitney Vikings youth FC is non-partisan credit to those community leaders who have engaged with us respectfully and visited our tiny Vikings and Whitney Wildcat squads Whitney has a long and proud football heritage football clubs are providing a great service to the community thanks to the efforts and hard work of many amazing volunteers Now we need our local facilities to catch up and keep up.
4: This piece is entitled Hunt for Man After Teen Touched in Park. A manhunt is ongoing after a teenage girl was sexually assaulted in a park. The attack happened at around 8.30pm on Friday, December 2nd, on Langle Common, which leads to Church Lane. The victim, a girl in her teens, was walking along a path on the Common, coming from the direction of the town centre. An unknown man followed her and touched the girl inappropriately over her clothing. The offender is described as a white man in his mid-twenties to early thirties. He is of stocky build and has a brown beard and hair. He was wearing a grey tracksuit with a hood up and a black coat. Investigating Officer PC Tom Anderson, based at Whitney Police Station, said, I'm appealing for any witnesses to this incident to please get in touch. We believe a man and a woman who could be potential witnesses were walking around 30 seconds ahead of the victim. Then, around 30 seconds after the assault, a woman was seen walking in the same direction and may have also heard a shout or witnessed the offence. Anyone with information can make a report online or by calling 101.
1: And now we've got four pieces of news in brief. Firstly, learners wait more than a month for their driving tests. Learner drivers have been left uh, waiting for five weeks for for a test in Oxford, new figures show. The coronavirus pandemic saw waiting times at test centres across Britain shoot up, and new figures from the Drive and Vehicle Standards Agency, obtained through a Freedom of Information request, show that learners waited for five weeks to take their test in Oxford up until the end of March. And that's just within the government's six-week target. And the wait was down from 14 weeks at the end of March 2020. And the second piece of news, all about food, and it says that there are food places who are getting five stars in our area, eight food establishments across Oxfordshire have been given a five-star food rating from the Food Standards Agency a food hygiene rating reflects the standards of the food hygiene found on the date of the inspection by the local authority Company Jewins Women's Two Women in Burford was rated five stars along with Brown Cow Events and Quince and Clover in Chipping Norton And then the Bull Inn in Sheep Street in Chipping Norton was also rated five stars, along with Little Sandy's in Langdale Court in Whitney, and the Blind Tiger in the Market Square Whitney, and the Falkland Arms in Great Chew Chipping Norton. A takeaway in Whitney was also rated five stars, and that was the American Pizza in Corn Street. And our third piece of short news, Hall's new seating goes in. Renovation of Whitney's Corn Exchange is in the final phase and uh, and retractable uh, tiered seating is about to be installed in the main hall. The seating will accommodate around 130 people and Whitney Town Council has funded the £69,000 cost with money set aside For the refit, plus a community facilities grant from West Oxfordshire District Council. Owen Collins, the chair of the Corn Exchange Working Party, said, This is a massive milestone in our journey to return the Corn Exchange to an affordable, accessible arts centre. And finally, Drink Drive Crash Arrest a 24-year-old man from Whitney has been arrested on suspicion of drink driving and leaving the scene of an accident. People said that a BMW left the road and crashed through the wall of a bridge on Bridge Street in the town on
2: Sunday. Question mark, Chippy's Roman town. The ancient Roman origins of Chipping Norton are set to be revealed for the first time. It has long been suspected that an extensive Roman settlement may lie under the soil at or near the East Chipping Norton development site, which includes Tank Farm, but extends round to Glyme Lane. Developers Carla Holmes hired Wessex Archaeology last summer to dig evaluation trenches. A geophysical survey outlining features beneath the ground has prompted the work. Wessex Archaeology are expected to release their report in the next few weeks. How will this impact on the expected master plan for the East Chipping Norton project? It is not known. Townspeople have long wondered whether there was a Roman settlement in this area. The stone head on display in Chipping Norton Museum, possibly of the god Jupiter, was found there. Field walkers have in the past picked up pottery and coins on the site. Now the priority is to ensure there is protection for the town's heritage at this important site, said Pauline Watkins, Chipping Norton Museum curator. The next stage is for the county archaeologists and historic England to sign off the report and consider any next steps. Chipping Norton Archaeological Research Group is now working to gather information from maps, records and artefacts to build a detailed picture of the town's ancient past.
3: Now we have another story uh, from Chipping Norton, a rather sad one this time about a tragic accident, and it's entitled, A hit pensioner was in blind spot for lorry's driver. The driver of a lorry that knocked down and killed a 73-year-old in Chipping Norton was in tears as he told an inquest he simply did not see the pensioner. Retired shop floor worker Derek Thornton walked out in front of the moving Scania lorry outside Sainsbury's at the junction of New Street and the High Street on the afternoon of February 28th, Oxford Coroner's Court heard. Witness Robert Knight could see from his vantage point on the other side of the junction the victim walk out in front of the moving vehicle. In a statement read by Assistant Coroner Nicholas Graham, Mr Knight said he had made a desperate attempt to sound a warning on his horn. Mr Thornton was said to have pushed the front of the lorry cab with his hands before he became trapped beneath the slow-moving truck. A pathologist who conducted the post-mortem examination, Professor Ian Roberts, gave the cause of death as multiple traumatic injuries. Death would have been almost instantaneous, the inquest heard. Giving evidence, driver Louis Charlton confirmed that the Scania lorry he was driving had been new in 2016. Earlier that day, he had made deliveries from Winchester to Devizes and Stowe on the Wold. He was on his way back down south when the tragedy happened. As he approached the high street junction, Mr. Charlton gestured to another pedestrian, Catherine Jiang, to cross. Data from the lorry's onboard computer showed the HGV came to a complete halt for one second before rolling forward again. The truck, an automatic, reached seven miles per hour and travelled four metres before it stopped, having struck Mr. Thornton. Mr. Charlton wiped his eyes as the coroner read sections from his police statement in which he explained that he had checked his mirrors and a rear-view camera before moving off. He heard the warning from the VW Golf driver and wondered whether his lorry was obstructing him. He felt something in the steering and thought he may have gone over a traffic cone. The driver stopped and saw Mr Thornton beneath the lorry, he said. Questioned by the coroner, Mr Charlton confirmed he believed the victim had entered a blind spot. A wide-angled mirror showing the area in front of the cab was very slightly misaligned, but both the police crash investigator and the driver felt it would have made no difference to his ability to see the victim. The inquest heard Mr Charlton passed drug, alcohol and eyesight tests. No criminal charges were being brought. The assistant coroner recorded a conclusion of road collision-related death and he expressed his condolences to the family. And the accompanying photograph shows the lorry at the scene in Chipping Norton and it's credited to Ed Nix.
0: And now for our reflection this week. Uh, this, uh, this one comes from Mrs Penny Fowler, who's from Longhamber and a local preacher with the West Oxfordshire Methodist Circuit. Um, and she's going to talk a little about Advent.
5: She would say it every year. It's only three months to Christmas. 25th of September... It was my mother's birthday and I guess it was a reminder to start the annual planning. Was it panic? But it did seem that there was always a lot to do. My children say it to me now, it's become a family joke. Only three months to Christmas, said each year on their grandmother's birthday. There's no way that I'm even going to think about Christmas in September. But each year... I think that this is the year when I'm going to be really well organised. I have my list, Christmas jobs 2022, something like 18 tasks on it. I like to feel that takes away the worry. But I'm not so sure, really. Write the cards. But then I have to buy them first. I think I should enjoy writing the cards. Remembering friends far and wide, Think of, thinking of enjoyable times past, but faced with the list, the piles of cards, updating address lists, I really don't enjoy it as much as I feel I should. Next year, next year, I'll be really organised and start earlier so that I can write more than hope you're well. The cooking. Now that was when my mother really did seem to panic. She was a good cook. Her cakes and mince pies did what they should do and tasted good. But all the ingredients had to be carried home from the shops. We didn't have a car. It got better when my parents bought a freezer. The Christmas cake, now that was something. The fruit had to be washed and dried and weighed and laid on plates ready for the bowl. Did other children take the sultanas to eat like we did? We were always caught and we were in trouble. Now, our daughter comes each year to make a cake for us. She's done it since her school days. She takes over the kitchen with her music and list of instructions. The kitchen smells wonderful with the scent of spices and the warm cake. I stand in the marketplace in the town. Is it far noisier than usual? Small children crying. is all too much. Slightly older children now out of school and grumbling. They are tired and hungry and want to go home. Shopping is not what they want to do. Very cross parents and grandparents and carers. It's all too much for them too. There's the sound of carols, too many jingle bells, and now voices calling out. There are fish and meat and vegetables and bread to be bought from the market. Trees too now. It's so cold and windy today, how can anyone stand for so long in the cold? That lad is selling the big issue. Occasionally someone will stop and talk and buy his paper. I hope he has somewhere to go, warm to go at the end of the day. The day's passed and my list is getting shorter as the preparations get done. Why did I worry? It all gets finished in the end. And what doesn't get done? Well, never mind. But wait, is there food enough for everyone? And what do I cook for the vegetarians? More questions. And then it is Christmas Eve and we wait for the midnight service to begin. Absolute silence and calm in the ancient church. Many candles are lit. The congregation sits waiting. So quietly... What are they thinking about? A hush of expectation, waiting and wondering, remembering, dreaming. Love came down at Christmas. That's what I'm waiting for.
0: Beautifully read. Thank you very much.
4: Those oh, st- days... <laughs> This piece is entitled Pop and Soul Stars Top Bill at Festival of Ideas. Art rock band Suede, electronic pop act Hot Chip and soul star Candy Staten will headline a fledgling festival in the grounds of an Oxfordshire stately home. The acts have been revealed for the second kite festival at Kirklington Park between Woodstock and Bicester next June. The three-day event is billed by organisers as a festival of ideas and music and features theatre, comedy, talks and discussions with familiar names from the worlds of arts and politics. Mercury Mercury Music Prize winner Slade, fronted by Brett Anderson, were one of the best-loved British bands of the 1990s. Their critically acclaimed new album, Auto Friction, went straight to number two in the charts. London Electronica artist Hot Chip are giants of the dance pop and best loved for hits over and over, Boy From School and Ready For The Floor. Veteran Alabama-born soul and gospel singer-songwriter Candy Staten is an iconic performer with hits going back to the 1970s. They include disco classics, Young Hearts Run Free and Nights on Broadway. The artist, 82, a four-time Grammy winner nominee, said, I'm so excited to be playing Kite Festival and I can't wait to be finally back in the UK. I just love playing to British audiences and adore the English countryside. Representing the ideas element will be former editor of GQ, Dylan Jones, who will talk about fashion and journalism, art-loving actor Russell Tovey and Guardian journalist Maria Hyde.
0: And now it's time for the editor's choice of articles. And this week I've picked on something which was in the Gazette and it's a piece that's written by... Green Party leader and district councillor for uh, Bryce Norton and Shilton, um, Rosie Pearson. Um, She's talking about a subject which uh, I know has arisen a number of times during our programmes this year, um, the quality of the water in our rivers. And her headline is, we must take holistic approach to our future. Here we go again. Last month's heavy rain saw illegal sewage discharges into rivers and emergency tankers dispatched stop sewage backing up into our villages. You might think nothing has changed. But it was clear at West Oxfordshire District Council's Waterways Day, which was held on November the 18th, that something had changed. At previous such events in 2018 and 2019, Thames Water was still disputing the data on illegal discharges collated so undeniably by Windrush Against uh, Sewage Pollution. Uh, The acronym is WASP for that group. This year, Thames Water wasn't bothering to deny these facts and the area of dispute with WASP and others had moved on from discharges to finance. Did the company, or did it not pay its shareholders dividends in the last five years instead of using the money to invest in improving the system. The shift of focus is important because it shows that we are moving on from looking at the effects of sewage pollution, awful though they are, to thinking about the root causes. We need to think about the structure of how we manage our increasingly complex human society, and it is clear that Using private corporations to deliver human and environmental needs is simply not working. Many corporations do good work that makes our lives easier, but their primary purpose is not to meet the needs of humans or other beings, or to improve social outcomes, but to make as much money as they can for their shareholders. The scandal of river pollution is a warning sign. Rivers are beloved features of our landscape, A metaphor for life as they rush or meander through cities towns and fields connecting communities and reflecting back to us how well or badly we're dealing with the detritus of our existence when they are visibly polluted we are shocked neither people nor fish like swimming in excrement but the global mindset that has led to this sorry state is the same one that destroys rainforests for ranching ...fails to respond with adequate urgency to either the causes or effects of a warming atmosphere... ...and continues to build poor quality housing with inadequate insulation. We must not apply the same extractive philosophy to our future solutions. That is why the massive solar farm proposed to cover 1,000 hectares of Oxfordshire... ...should have community benefit and control built into it from the start and not function primarily as another source of profit for private companies. Our current mess cannot be fixed by the same thinking that created it. Let's start by boldly describing the world we want without fear of being branded naive or idealistic. A better world really is within our grasp as long as we take a holistic approach. The catchment-wide partnerships that connect natural flood defences, soil-friendly farming... Nature recovery and cleaner rivers, for example, are showing the power of joined-up thinking efforts. In ecological thinking, everything is connected. Interesting words, I thought, from Rosie Pearson. Next we have our weekly quiz. Uh, First, the questions and the answers from last week. Uh, The questions were set by Nigel James, and they were a mixed bag, And I would uh, be very happy for our readers to chime in with the answers as soon as I've read last week's questions back. And you at home can uh, check to see how well you did. Question one was, Which US female singer with an English-sounding name had a solo hit with Heaven is a Place on Earth? Anybody know? Belinda Carlisle. I guess Carlisle is the English sounding name. Um, second question What name is given to a moon that is between a half moon and a full moon? And don't say three quarter moon, anybody. Anybody know? Mm, not going to get it, I'm afraid. It's a gibbous moon. Yes. Question: We're all wise after the event here. Question three: Other than being Russian leaders, what else did Lenin and Putin have in common? It's a bit simpler. Well, it may have been. I think that is correct, isn't it? Former KGB. I'm not sure about Lenin, but there is a simpler. There is a simpler thing that connects them. And that's their first names, Vladimir.
1: Um,
0: This one will test your uh, knowledge of the French language. What type of soup took its name from the French for cauldron? Anybody know? Well, I didn't know this, and my French... I didn't do very well beyond uh, O-level at school with French, but uh, the answer is chowder. And the last question from last week, um, Scrapey... Is a disease affecting which animal? Anybody know? We're having a bad day here today. Sheep is the answer. Right, now I'd appreciate nobody yelling out in the middle of um, my questions, which I'm about to set you. And they're all about the, this year, which is rapidly coming to a close, of course. So question one... In March, which oldest recorded town became the UK's newest city? Oldest recorded town, UK's newest city. Second question, bit simpler perhaps. How many Prime Ministers were there in 2022?
4: <laughs>
0: and I would have to say, as of today, just in case. Third question, who did Will Smith slap at the Oscar ceremony. Created headlines, that one. The fourth question, the UK was given an additional bank holiday in June 2022. What was the reason? That should be easy enough. And the last question, how many gold medals did Great Britain win at the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing? And my clue is not very many. Now to our notice board. Sadly, five deaths were announced in the Gazette this week. Brian Philip Carr, known to all as Phil, died aged 66 on the 17th of November. Brian Dean, known as Dixie, of Bampton, died on the 28th of November, aged 91. John Grant, also died on the 28th of November, aged 86, in Whitney. Deborah Snowden of Haley died on the 29th of November, aged 60. And Professor George Leonard Huxley of Chipping Norton died on the 30th of November, aged 90. Our condolences to family and friends. Now there are no listeners with birthdays for us to mark this week and a little on our notice board but I would like to make mention of an event which I can recommend Uh, It is the Christmas concert by the Woodstock Music Society's Choir and Chamber Orchestra It takes place on Friday and Saturday this week so that's the 9th and 10th of December at at St Mary Magdalene Church in Park Road, Woodstock Tickets are £15. Uh, you can get them by emailing concerts at woodstockmusic.info or over the phone on 01993 812 I went last year, so I can recommend it. Uh, and also, m- perhaps most importantly of all, look out next week for a special extra A Christmas magazine from us, Christmas magazine programme, which will either be in your pouch if you have Whitney Talking News delivered to you, or you can listen online. So don't miss that one. And now we have some more news items.
1: Headline reads, stadium talks are in early stages, and it's all about Oxford United, who've issued a statement after proposals were put forward to move the club to a new home between Oxford and Kidlington. Discussions have been taking place between the council and the club since late 2021 about leasing council-owned land for the development of an 18,000-capacity football stadium. A site at Stratfield Stra- uh, Brake—better get that right—Stratfield Brake on the edge of Kidlington had initially been proposed by the club, but the council said there were considerable challenges. With officers now proposing a location south of Kidlington, roundabout west of Banbury Road and east of Freeze Way, close to Oxford Parkway Railway Station. The league one side has confirmed that the club is in preliminary discussions in regards to the alternative site for the stadium. An Oxford United spokesperson said that Oxford United continues to consider any viable site for their proposed new stadium, and they can confirm that the club are in preliminary discussions regarding a potential alternative site for their proposed new stadium, located on the land to the east of Frieswood, south of Kidlington Roundabout. Our search for a new home has been well publicised and, given the pressing need for securing a sustainable future home, it's important and right that the club do not rule out any alternative sites at this stage. The discussions are at a very early stage, so we cannot confirm any details, but any site will remain subject to contractual negotiations, obtaining planning permissions, the real, uh, the, the relevant statutory consents. We also remain committed to an extensive consultation with the local community in the new year. The club will continue to explore all options available to provide a long-term and sustainable future home that benefits both the club and our local community. Given that the dwindling time frame available to us and the interest from fans, local residents and the wider Oxfordshire community, it's imperative that a decision about a preferred site is resolved as soon as possible. The decision about whether or not to enter into formal negotiations with OUFC about the lease of land will be taken in public at a cabinet meeting on the 24th of January.
2: The headline of this story is Friends Start Fund for Teen Hit by Car. Friends have launched an appeal for a schoolgirl who has emerged from a coma after being hit by a car in Whitney. School Friends have set up a fundraising campaign for Alice Kavanagh, whom they describe as kind and incredibly loved. Alice, 17, had got off a bus on her way to an after-school job when she was struck close to the roundabout junction with the A40 near Minster Lovell on November 2nd. In a critical condition with head injuries, she was taken to the John Radcliffe Hospital, where she remained in a deep coma for 18 days. She awoke on November 20th. Now friends at the Marlborough School in Woodstock have launched an appeal to help her rehabilitation. Ava Marsh, 17, said, What made me start the appeal was, when I visited her in hospital, she was in a coma, and it was really distressing how powerless I felt. I felt I could not console her family. They were very, very upset. To be honest, they were just happy she was alive. Her mum was crying throughout my visit and I could not comfort her. She added, Alice was going to her after-school job, got off the bus and ran across the road from behind the bus where she was hit. She had several serious injuries, including damage to her head. It's described as a stage two diffuse axonal injury and it means her quality of life, if she fully wakes up, will be altered, and she will require extensive rehabilitation and care. I think it means there's damage to a connection with neurons. It's damage to the brain. However, Alice's team of neurologists tried a new drug on her, and on November 20th she woke up. It's amazing news, and her family are elated, said Ava, but obviously it's quite seriously affected her life. She's not in school, and obviously this will be a huge thing. She did apply to Oxford and some other good universities to do physics or maths, but I don't know if she got as far as her interviews. We're in the sixth form in our final year, and she'll probably have to retake the year. Ava describes her friend as intelligent and kind with so much potential. She said, Alice is a bright and courageous person and is incredibly loved at Marlborough. We miss her dearly and know that she will be fighting hard to learn to live normally. Alice's sister and family are by her side, spending much of their time with her in the hospital. Ava said, We have launched this appear to help her family with transport and care costs related to Alice's care in the ICU. We also want Alice to have funding to help her catch up with her studies and help her compensate for not having income from her job. She added... Please donate whatever you can for our wonderful friend and thank you for your kindness. Thames Valley Police said no arrests have been made and a police investigation is ongoing.
3: Now, we all love a good pub lunch or a pub supper, and this article is talking about three Oxfordshire Gastro pubs that have made the Sunday Times list of 100 best places to stay in Britain for 2023. The Royal Oak in the picturesque West Oxford village of Ramsden has served as a coaching inn and public house for almost 250 years and was given a sympathetic <coughs> facelift when it was bought by locals Notting Hill film producer Tim Bevan and artist Amy Gadney two years ago. The Sunday Times reviewers said, quote, their refurbishment has produced interiors as effortlessly alluring as Julia Roberts' ...and as pretty as the pictures in their revolving art exhibitions. The kitchen's elevated pub grub includes bavette steak... ...and the rooms come with four poster beds and roll-top baths. Secondly, the 17th century George Inn at Barford St Michael, a village outside Banbury... ...is praised for its, quote, fabulous food and boutique bedrooms. The only thing that raises alarm bells is the price... It is suspiciously cheap. So what's the catch? Don't worry, there isn't one, reads the review. But, it says, owner's wine merchant Louis Holsthausen and his wife Laura, quote, have carefully restored the place to create a convivial space for a tipple or two with their neighbours and bon viveur visitors. Meanwhile, the Lamb Inn in Shipton-Underwichwood, which was named Best Pub in the GQ Food and Drink Awards 2022, is described as having, quote, a touch of with nail and eye about it by reviewer Susan Darcy. She said, The racing green tongue-and-groove walls, topped by a mishmash of quirky monochrome photography and mounted butterflies and flying insects, lend it an air of dashing respectability. But a frisson of dissolute intention hangs over the bar. It's a proper boozer, so beer is served in dimpled glasses and the dining is fun, with refined and retro dishes such as venison bourguignon. The ten rooms are briskly boutique. Co-owners Tom Nost and Peter Creed, who are both Cotswold-born and bred, also operate the Bell at Langford and the Little Bell within Soho Farmhouse.
4: This piece is entitled Foxy Question. And there's an image which depicts an attractive-looking fox with pricked ears in a sitting position with a Covid-style mask dangling from its mouth. A number of mysterious red foxes have started appearing in Chippy, not prowling the streets, but cropping up in Banksy-style street art around town. Dotted in unassuming places behind Sainsbury's, on London Road and on a telephone exchange cabinet in West Street. The question everyone is asking is, who is the after-hours artist adorning our town? Is he or she in cahoots with the yarn bomber who spreads crochet love in secret? And why a fox? Is it subliminal advertising for a well-loved chippy pub? Could the serial stenciler be a frustrated member of the Basil Brush fan club? The symbolism associated with the fox includes intelligence, independence, playfulness, beauty, protection and good fortune. So is the stealthy painter simply reflecting all qualities of Chipping Norton residents? While speculation is rife, the artist's identity remains a mystery. The townsfolk are well and truly
0: foxed. Well, I didn't think we'd get Basil Brush into our programme, but we did. And that completes this edition. We hope you enjoyed it. Our thanks go mainly to the Whitney Gazette and to the Chipping Norton News for the articles we've used this week. Special thanks, of course, go to our recording engineer, Peter Brading. And thanks also to our four readers tonight, Peter B, Dorothy Allen, Adam Lethbridge and Jean Thompson. Our admin team this week is Teresa Hayes and Frances Ashling, and our copiers and packers are Nigel James and me. Goodbye from me, and I know our readers would like to say goodbye to you, so here we go. Goodbye. Goodbye!
6: Features from across the UK now for a look at some of this coming week's radio highlights starting with Saturday December 10th. The documentary Living in Space at 5 past 12 on the BBC World Service explores what settlements in space might be like and the extraordinary challenges of exporting home comforts to the hostile environment of outer space. Whether a base on whether a planet or a floating station above Earth, this ambition is closer to being realised than many think. It's on the BBC World Service at five past twelve, and it's called the documentary Living in Space. A new season of broadcasts from the New York Metropolitan Opera kicks off with Joyce De Donato, Kelly O'Hara and Rennie Fleming, starring in the stage premiere of Kevin Putt's The Hours, an operatic adaptation of Michael Cunningham's novel... It's a treat for opera lovers. It's at 6.30 on Saturday on Radio 3. Brian Cox and Robin Ince are discussing the new golden age for conspiracy theories with guests including David Baddiel in The Infinite Monkey Cage this week at 7.15 on Radio 4. And finally for Saturday on Radio 4 again... Christopher Frayling explores how Hollywood helped to create the modern Christmas. It's called How Santa Stole Christmas. It's part of Archive on 4 and it's on Radio 4 at 8pm. Sunday, December 11th. And Kate Blanchett, the Oscar-winning actor, is Lauren Laverne's Castaway on Desert Island Discs, Radio 4, 11.15 on Sunday morning. Convenience Store Woman, adapted by April De Angelis from the bestseller by Sayaka Murata. Keiko has never had a boyfriend and has worked in the same Tokyo convenience store for 18 years. Her friends wonder why she won't get married, but Keiko knows what makes her happy. It's the Working Titles drama at three o'clock on Radio 4. Words and Music explores different takes on the number 12. 12-tone music, 12-bar blues, 12 months in a year... ...or signs of the Zodiac, eggs in a dozen, members of a jury... ...Norse gods and goddesses. You get the kind of thing. It's Words and Music. It's on Radio 3 on Sunday at 5.30. Stephen Mangan returns with the comedy chat show about shame and guilt... ...this week with actor, writer and illustrator Jesse Cave. Yes, it's the new series of The Confessional... It's on Radio 4 at 7.15. On to programmes then that are broadcast at the same time each day, Monday to Friday. So same time, same radio station, all week, Monday to Friday. Book of the week, A Heart That Works. American comedian and actor and writer Rob Delaney reads from his intimate and unflinching account of the life and death of his young son, Henry. It's on 9.45 every morning on Radio 4. Russian Leo Kadya Kashkorova, 1872-1940, was one of the most talented composers and pianists of her generation. Donald MacLeod and Graham Griffiths begin by looking at her student years in Composer of the Week on Radio 3 all week at 12 noon. Sam Holder investigates how the justice system deals with vulnerable witnesses. Please protect Abraham. At 1.45 on Radio 4 all week. Series 2 of Broken Colours, the thriller by Matthew Broughton. After Jess accidentally shot and killed gang leader Magna, Dan wants to make a new start and move away from the corruption and violence of gang life. It's from Monday to Thursday, this programme, Series 2 of Broken Colours. And it's at 2.15 on Radio 4. Mary Lawson's novel, A Town Called Solace, detailing the tenderness and tragedy of everyday lives in a backwater town of 1970s Ontario. It's Book of Bedtime, this week, 10.45 each night, on Radio 4. Well, at the same time, on Radio 3, the essay is entitled, Postcards from the Floating Coast. Environmental historian Bashima Demuth examines the intertwined paths of the people and animals of the lands and waters around the Bering Strait, the ice-studied stretch of ocean between Alaska and the Russian Far East. She begins by looking at the shifting historical relationship between humans and dogs. The essay, on at 10.45, all week, on Radio 3. Let's go back then to the daily highlights, starting with Monday, December 12th. Presenter Adam Rutherford and guests talk about light pollution, threatening the ancient rhythms of life, the neural bias of consciousness against the dark and phobias that haunt the imagination as the lights go off, and the spine-tingling winter soundscape created with the use of sound for a new radio drama, The Dark is Rising. It's all on Start the Week on Radio 4 at 9am. The BBC Symphony Orchestra is being celebrated this week. Music by Bach, Mendelssohn, Polenck, Vivaldi and Vaughan Williams are all in the afternoon concert at 2 o'clock on Radio 3. The first of a four-part series entitled Phantoms in the Brain, exploring the nature of physical and mental health, is I Am Not Mentally Ill, 9pm Radio 4 on Monday. Rounding off the day, a new six-part series, a documentary maker hosts an open-call audition for subjects to feature in her next project, providing an insight into the ethics of buying and selling true stories. It's all part of Lights Out, beginning with Accounts and Accountability, 11pm on Radio 4. Tuesday, December 13th. And the BBC World Service features the Chinese-born phenomenon of the piano Lang Lang talks to Sean Rafferty about his life and work, what it's like being a child prodigy and his role as educator as well as performer. In the studio is at 11.30am on the BBC World Service. In Laura Barton's Notes on Music, the music writer is joined by opera singer Roderick Williams and Matt Beringer of Rock Band The National to talk about the baritone voice. Again, it's on at 11.30, but this time on Radio 4. Martin Handley introduces a concert recorded on November 9th at the Lighthouse in Poole with mezzo-soprano Sarah Connolly and the Bournemouth Symphony Orchestra, a programme of music including Ravel and Mahler. It's Radio 3 in concert, 7.30pm on Tuesday. While the comedian Rhys James explores two opposing sets of opinions in a two-part series adopting a liberal perspective on issues such as sexuality, gender issues, environmentalism and social media. Rhys James Isn't A is back on Radio 4 at 11pm. Wednesday, December 14th. Darren McGarvey gives a lecture on a system that isn't working for many people and the need for citizens to rise to the challenge of what inequality means, take personal responsibility and reject the apathy that many working-class communities experience. It's called Freedom From Want, and it's the Wreath Lectures on Radio 4 at 9am. A A Bad Guy With A Gun is a documentary looking at gun violence in America in a way that is both gentle and intensely thought-provoking. 4pm, Radio 4. On Wednesday, Tom McKinney presents a concert recorded in November at the Liverpool Philharmonic, with music by Debussy and Puccini, played by the Royal Liverpool Philharmonic Orchestra and Choir, with tenor Jesus Leon and bass Adam Cutney. Radio Three in concert, seven thirty p.m. on Radio Three. And this week, the human invention of animals, from medieval bestiaries to modern zoology. It's the topic of free thinking on Radio 3 at 10pm. Thursday, December 15th. Poet Katrina Porteous and producer Julian May gather the variety of the sea's sounds from gentle whispers to thunderous waves. While water is the star of the show, there are extraordinary contributions from a visually impaired surfer, a pianist and a fisherman. The Susurrations of the Sea, Radio 4, 1130 A special concert featuring the two-time Brit Award-winning Scottish singer-songwriter Lewis Capaldi that was recorded last week is Radio 2 in Concert presents Lewis Capaldi. It's on at 7pm on Radio 2. In Thursday's edition of Free Thinking, Matthew Sweet looks at a new project about the role played by landladies in the seaside town of Morecambe and at some well-loved fictional landladies from Shakespeare and Sherlock Holmes to Coronation Street. Free thinking is at 10 o'clock on Radio 3 and it's called Landladies. While rounding off Thursday, Waterslide is the first in a new four-part series of Michael Spicer Before Next Door, the comedy which charts his progress to stardom as the man next door. It's December 2019 and the impending general election coverage promises extra media attention, while an office workshop led by communications guru Sanjeev Bashkar provides extra stress. Waterslide is on at 11pm on Radio 4. Finally, Friday, December 16th. And with Christmas fast approaching, Angels on Regent Street is the first in a new series of short works. A festive story about the angels people do and don't see throughout their lives. 3.45 on Radio 4. The BBC Singers joined guest conductor Bob Chilcott and narrator Mel Gidroch for the UK premiere of Benedict Sheehan's A Christmas Carol, retelling the classic Dickens Christmas story with original music along with some of the most loved Christmas choral music and traditional family-friendly carols. It's been recorded at Milton Court on Wednesday and you can hear it on Friday on Radio 3 in concert at 7.30pm on Radio 3. Actor Jack Shepherd goes backstage to unearth the strange tales of Britain's haunted theatres in Ghost Stories from Theatreland. Fiona Shaw, Gorn Granger, Deborah Warner, Richard Eyre and Max Stafford-Clark star as well. Ghost Stories from Theatreland is on at 8 o'clock on BBC Radio 4 Extra. And our last radio highlight of the week, Late Junction brings the cream of performances from the past year featuring music, Bill Orcutt, composed for four guitars, a blistering collaboration between Togolese rapper Yao Bobby and Swiss producer Simon Grabb, and the recontextualised Native American powwow singing of Joe Rainey. It's all on Lake Junction, 11pm, on Radio 3. That's it for this week. Thank you to Leslie for the highlights. May I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable week of radio listening.
7: Hello this is John from Otley talking news selecting and reading my choice of audio described television programmes for the week commencing Saturday the 10th of December and ending on Friday the 16th of December 2022 Before I start the listings someone asked me the other day how to set up their TV for audio description the answer unfortunately varies on how you watch basically if the remote control you use to set the channel you want to watch has an AD button on it press that and if the programme is audio described, you will hear the audio description. If it doesn't have this button, you'll need to press the menu button. Then follow the on-screen options until you reach those for language and subtitles. And AD should be in there. I hope that helps. So let's go on now with what's on offer on Saturday the 10th of December. The football continues in Qatar, so there is still some disruption to the schedules this week. Nigella is at my table making egg tortilla pie on BBC One at 11.30am. Homes in London, Cheshire and Lancashire are Under the Hammer on BBC One at 12 noon. Peterborough is the location for Bargain Hunt on BBC One at 1.20. Bates Goods Producers compete to be top of the shop with Tom Kerridge at 11.30 on BBC Two. A hapless teacher takes his pupils to rural Wales for a clash of Christmas choirs but his twin brother is conducting a rival group. In Nativity 2, Danger in the Manger, this comedy drama can be seen at 4.50 on BBC2. If BBC1 doesn't show football, Thin Green Line, where pressure reaches boiling port for Jan, in Casualty, is on BBC1 at 10 past 8. There are a number of films on Channel 4 from 5.20... In the first one, a father searches for his son's Turbo Man toy on Christmas Eve after his wife tells him to get it whatever it takes. Jingle All The Way is on at 5.20. Then a romantic comedy in which Sandra finds her husband has been unfaithful so moves in with her sister Biff. But her lifestyle is at odds with what Sandra is used to. You can watch Finding Your Feet at five past seven on 4. The third film is an Agatha Christie mystery. A passenger is found dead on train stuck in snow. Hercule Poirot investigates murder on the Orient Express at 9.15 on Channel 4. Would you like to end Saturday with a Sky-Fi adventure? Caesar embarks on a quest for revenge after his family is killed by Colonel McCulloch. Can Caesar assassinate him? Find out in War for the Planet of Apes, still on Channel 4, at 11.25pm. So let's now move to Sunday the 11th. The West Midlands and Stoke and Trent are locations for Homes Under the Hammer on BBC 1 at 11.30am. Mary meets the March family at Goodwood House in Mary Berry's Country House Secrets. You can see it on BBC 2 at 11.15. There's a Christmas animation film this afternoon in which a once-beloved abandoned toy clown sets off to find a new home for himself and his newfound, also-rejected friends. Quentin Blake's Clown is on Channel 4 at 2.20. The famous clock tower containing Big Ben has been undergoing restoration for the past six years. Cameras have been following the clockmakers as they dismantle, clean and reassemble the clock mechanism. Big Ben Restored, the grand unveiling, is on Channel 4 at 7pm. James Bond devises a plan to ruin the corrupt banker The Sheaf in a high-stakes poker game. This is the evening film Casino Royale on ITV at 8. Dick and Angel realise their dream to have a tranquil winter garden but have a fiendish design problem to solve and they're organising a Christmas party for their family and friends. All this is in Escape to the Chateau on Channel 4 at 8. Aaron Copeland, Charlie Chaplin and the right-wing author Ayn Rand are the subjects in the final part of Simon Sharma's History of Now, on BBC Two at 9pm. Did you like Strike the Private Detective? There's a new series which finds Strike in Cornwall visiting his family when he's asked to help a woman find her mother who's been missing since 1974. Strike Troubled Blood is on BBC One at 9pm. In the late film, British pensioners try to make their pennies go further by spending their retirement in what they believe to be a luxury hotel in India. Find out how they get on in the best exotic Marigold Hotel on BBC One at 10.30pm. Here's a look now at programmes that are on at the same time each weekday. And all the following are on BBC One Homes Under the Hammer at 11.15 every day, Bargain Hunt at 12.15 all week, Doctors at 1.45 all week, Escape to the Country at 3pm all week. Moving to ITV, Dickinson's Real Deal is on all week at 2pm but if there's football on ITV on Tuesday and Wednesday it's then on at 2.30pm. For some brain testing, Christmas University Challenge is on BBC4 at 715 on Monday and at 7pm for the rest of the week. All the soaps are roughly in their usual times during the week. There's a special EastEnders on Monday, it's Dot's Funeral, family, friends and some old Walford faces gathered to say goodbye. Looking now at programmes on Monday the 12th of December, how about starting the evening doing some shopping? Ooh, sorry if that's ruined your day, but you can follow the team of chefs dreaming up tempting recipes for Waitrose at Christmas on Channel 4 at 8pm. In October 2012, five-year-old April Jones disappeared from outside her home in McContholeth. This documentary charts the search, as well as the challenges facing the police, lawyers and forensic scientists assigned to the case. The Disappearance of April Jones is on Channel 4 at 9, tonight, tomorrow and Wednesday. Part 2 of Strike, Troubled Blood is on BBC One at 9. Cameras return to the palatial London Hotel to chart their meticulous preparations for Christmas. The Savoy at Christmas is on ITV at 9. Ruby Wax, Mel B and Emily Attack are ripping up the rulebook in search of health and happiness in the Colorado Rockies. The final episode of Trailblazers, a Rocky Mountain road trip, is on BBC Two at Nine. Now what's on on Tuesday the 13th of December? A crab mac and cheese, a one-pot dish of chicken and orzo, and some mine-or-mine mine chocolate cookies, are on the menu at Nigella's Cook, Eat, Repeat tonight at 7 on BBC Two. Continuing the Christmas food theme, Jamie Oliver makes Salmon Gravadelaks, new ways to cook turkey, and a fresh take on Yorkshire pudding. Find out how with Jamie's Easy Christmas on Channel 4 or 8. Amol Rajan concludes his investigation of how Britain's elite could create a fairer system for young people from working-class backgrounds in... How to Crack the Glass Ceiling on BBC Two at Nine. It's the second part of The Disappearance of April Jones on Channel Four at Nine. If there's no football on BBC One, a dramatic confession at the round table changes the game and one of the faithful seems to be keeping a secret. Find out what all this means for the traitors on BBC One at Nine. If there is football, then this programme will be on tomorrow night at Nine beleaguered beth ends up hosting an impromptu party in her back garden though colin continues to pick faults in the concluding part of two doors down at ten p m on bbc two on to wednesday the fourteenth how about relaxing with a fishing rod follow paul and bob and ted as they fish the eden and tyne in search of the elusive english salmon mortimer and whitehouse gone christmas fishing with their dog ted is on BBC Two at 8pm. A rape case appears to be solved when the chief suspect is murdered, but nothing is what it seems. Can Lewis solve the crimes on ITV3 at 8? The period crime drama set in Austria returns tonight. Lieberman and Reinhardt investigate the murder of a young seamstress in a luxury fashion house and discover that the industry conceals dark truths. All this in the news series of Vienna Blood, on BBC Two at 9. The disappearance of April Jones concludes at 9 on Channel 4. Thursday the 15th of December, eBay is waging war on fake high-value trainers. But how did American breakfast waffles transform the shoe's soles? Hannah Fry finds out when she looks at trainers on BBC Two at 8pm in The Secret Genius of Modern Life. A giant panna cotta disintegrates in the Aldi test kitchen. The countdown to Christmas is far from smooth for the suppliers and staff inside Aldi at Christmas. Find out how they progress on Channel 4 at 8. As new revelations come to light, Cornelia finally confronts the man who killed her son. Love, both lost and found, determined the final showdown in The English at 9 on BBC2. As Gordon, Gino and Fred relish making each other squirm with embarrassment during their road trips the bloopers and blunders from the cutting room floor come to light in Gordon, Gino and Fred the Unseen Bits on ITV at 9 if you missed the best exotic Marigot Hotel on Sunday there's another chance to see it on BBC4 tonight at 9pm finally to Friday the 16th Granite Harbour DCI Cora Macmillan and the team race to extract a confession from Shea about the kidnapping of Isla. DC Davis Lindo is investigating Cleland's death. His inquiries lead to a shocking discovery. Will the team solve the case in this, the final part, on BBC One at eight? The eighth Earl of Harwood, David LaSalle's, has commissioned 11 cutting-edge artists to transform all the grand staterooms with art that shows their different interpretations of winter festivities. See how they get on on Channel 4 at 8pm in Christmas at Harewood House. Last night's party games have left some of the players with more than a hangover. With the round table looming, one player's decision stuns the group, changing the game for the traitors. See what happens in Part 9 of The Traitors on BBC One at Nine. Are you a fan of Fleetwood Mac? how about following the band as they go on tour? The documentary Fleetwood Mac Don't Stop is on BBC Four at nine. The second and final part of Gordon, Gino and Fred the Unseen Bits is on ITV at nine. hope you find something of interest in my selection this week. TNF
6: Soundings